Welcome to the Kumbaya Podcast, the whole woman's resource, where we uncover the amazing resources available to help you on your holistic health journey and hopefully help you prevent issues before they arise. Hello, and welcome back to the Kumbaya Podcast. I'm so happy to have you here with me. Our guest today is a longtime resident of Atlanta, where she spent the first 15 years of her career teaching high school English, drama, and yearbook. Just weeks before the pandemic began, Melissa Kemper Westbrook gave birth to her youngest child. Since then, she has been home with her four boys while her husband works full-time and finishes his doctoral dissertation. To help her cope with the stresses of pandemic parenting, Melissa started painting in between diaper changes, skinned knees, and grilled cheeses. The death of Melissa's beloved father in November 2020 was devastating, and she uses her art and poetry to express her grief and gratitude for him. In the summer of 2021, Melissa started working in earnest towards a creative career and is now selling her prints, taking commissions, leading creativity workshops, and continuing to work on her novel. You can see more of her work and follow her creative process on Instagram and her website. I'll link to those in the show notes. I first learned about Melissa's work when I took one of her watercolor workshops. She did a really interesting collaborative art project within the lesson, and it was super fun. When I learned about her story as a self-taught artist and how art has helped her through some very difficult times, I knew I'd love to have her on the podcast to share more with you all. I hope you enjoy. Well, thank you so much for being here, Melissa. I would love to start with... um, yeah, hearing your story, how did you get into watercolors and art? Yeah, I do not have um, a background in in art. Um, I am a high school English teacher is how I spent most of my career. Um, but when the pandemic started, uh, I was on maternity leave and had um, four little boys at home, including a six-week-old. My husband was working full-time as a therapist and also finishing doctoral dissertation. So he was in the basement um, working 70, 80, 90 hours a week, and we had no child care. Um, So things were, and we were trying to do virtual school for the older kids. And um, yeah, at the beginning of the pandemic, we had a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, a two-year-old, and a newborn. So it was just an intense time. It was a very intense time. And um, pretty quickly after the pandemic started, my dad was uh, diagnosed with, um, well, he went to the hospital for some heart issues and just things were, it was just rough. It was a really rough time. Uh, And at some point, I just picked up a set of my son's Crayola watercolors as really just like a, a self-soothing activity, like maybe this will be fun. And it it worked. It, it just was a thing that it felt good. It, it was at a time when like not many other things in my life felt good or easy or just like simply pleasant. Um, of course I enjoyed my children and was thankful for them and enjoyed them in many ways, but 
um, it's complicated and difficult to take care of young kids. So painting was um, just like a very simple, uncomplicated, soothing activity. And did you, did you um, take any classes like in undergrad or grad or like anywhere along the line to like have kind of a background with it or? No, not at all. And it's interesting that you ask that because in high school, I wanted to take an art class, but I was so sure that I would fail at it and that I would like that people would laugh at me at how bad of an artist I was that I didn't even try. And, um, you know, that's a theme in my life is like, I don't try things that I'm not sure I'll be good at. Oh, hello. Um, Yes. (laughs) So, um, but I always felt, I had always felt that I had the brain of an artist, have lots of creative ideas, but not the hands of an artist. I could never make uh, the ideas in my brain come out on paper. So I just would be frustrated and not try. Yes. And I think, you know, we allow kids to have this well-rounded. I know when I was in school, you know, you have art class when you're in grade school, but I remember distinctly the only art class I took in undergrad was because I had to take it for, you know, for the, the whatever, what do you call it? Your, um, um, I had to take it like for, your yeah, the comic, yeah, something like I had to take it to graduate. So I got one painting class and I loved it. I think I sucked at it, but like, because I had so many classes I had to take to make my goals <laughs> and get to the next step and get to grad school, like I really didn't even have time in my schedule to have like it was just literally that one class and it was probably senior year maybe junior year but it was so late in the game I remember thinking oh wow I enjoy this so much I wish I had allowed myself some time to do more right you know it was it was awful but I I think we just get on that like roller coaster of you know the train whatever the analogy is and we don't get to to explore that like you said you had this innate kind of or this intuition of like yeah I may I may be good at this or I may enjoy this if I allow myself and and then you found this like you totally you are so talented I think I love um Mm -hmm. I love what I've learned with you but and your work and everything um and I know in the workshop that I took with you 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 talked about how you really had to manage like these perfectionist habits when you started creating art right Um, and I know I can totally relate to that (laughs) like you said like if I'm not going to be good at it I don't even try that is right my mantra you know I'm like I have zero problems for not doing well at things and so yeah I I think a lot of people can relate to that so I'd love for you to tell us more about that kind of dive into that yeah I am I think that for me what made this different and I I actually did take like a drawing class as an adult because I like wanted to be good at it I felt like I I want to learn to be good at this because I think I would enjoy it but it was again like trying to make things look like they looked in real life and I couldn't I just got frustrated yeah um with the effort that it would take (laughs) to learn to make things like to draw realism um so I think for me uh, kind of what let me break that barrier was giving up on the idea of it, it needs to look a particular way. Um, so the thing I love about watercolors is that the water is the boss, like, and, and it's so clearly the boss, like I'm not the boss, the water's going to do what it's going to do. And, uh, 
it's so clearly that I'm not in control that it lets me step back. I'm not trying to, I'm not the kind of painter who's going to like try to paint a thing that looks like a thing. Yeah. <laughs> when I started painting, I just was painting whatever soothed me is what I painted. Like watching the colors flow together. And I did that um, every day. Multiple, like for hours a day, because it was a thing I could do while my kids were running around. I could supervise them and also be putting colors on a page. Uh, and I could set it down when someone inevitably spilled their Cheerios on their brother. And um, <laughs> I could come back to it. And eventually I was able to recognize like not just what soothed me, I was able to like then start turning that into what pleased me. Like um, these colors look good together. Or when I, when I do this technique, I, I am pleased by the result, not just soothed by the process. Um, for me, it was very much process first and then the product, like creating things I enjoyed came much later. Like how um, much? I have, oh, um, like months. Yeah. I mean, for months I have, I have like just stacks of pages of watercolors that, um, yeah, they're fine, but they're just, it's just colors on a page, but they were significant because of the act of doing them, not because of the product that resulted. Right. Um, but after months, um, I, started to think, make things that I can start to like the first, you know, I guess from April to November um, of 2020 was just colors on the page. And the first, um, the first like piece of art that I made, I, I did like two weeks after my dad died. Um, like it was, very clearly like an expression of my grief is what kind of pushed me from just things that soothed me and then became like expressions of what I was experiencing. Nice. And that like we talked about that in your in your um the workshop and you were forward, you know, you were open with what you've experienced. So I felt comfortable to ask yeah. that here if that's okay. But like, oh how, yeah, yeah. How you turn to your art during like these stressful times? Like, can you share like what about it helped you most? Yeah. Um, so you know, during the pandemic, during those you know those summer months, it painting was like a soothing activity. And then when my dad died in November, I started. Um, I started painting and um, I have a cat that's so during that time I started um, drawing on top of my dried watercolor paintings and um, and it would be a time that I could like just really think about my grief and think about my dad and what it meant to have lost him. And um, I mentioned my background is in literature. And uh, so one night I was just drawing flowers on one of my um, 
one of my paintings and then a poem popped into my head, which, you know, I've written lots of poetry in my life. And so the first, I know, I know your listeners won't be able to see it, but I'll show you. Um, this is just a card of the first one I did and it says, so much is lost, so much is found, look below the ground, the ground. And I, I don't really, I don't even know for sure what it all means. <laughs> but it just was like, that's exactly what I was feeling in this age of like having a newborn and having just lost my dad and the stress of the pandemic, but also the sweetness of having all my children home and safe and on top of each other all the time. It's just like a time of, it's a very intense time. Yeah. Um, emotions I could see, yes. you know, like severe grief, but then also joy that you have a healthy family, immediate family and, they're all together. Right. Yeah. Like you said, safe. Absolutely. So um, then I just realized what a good outlet painting was like up until then it had just kind of been like a self-soothing um, therapeutic in the, like, this is a pleasant thing I'm adding into my life. And then um, after my dad died, it really became a way for me to, kind of actively grieve like my is like when I was painting I was prioritizing my grieving like my grieving process and um I just it was like I was feeling good like the painting kind of gave me the soothing kind of stability comfort it was a comforting thing to me and it kind of opened up space for me also to like actively process the loss of my really wonderful dad. And um, so I wrote, I painted a lot of things and wrote a lot of poems um, that, that expressed that. And um, it, it just gave me a chance to like, and really focus on my loss in, in a way that I felt was therapeutic for me. And I wonder, I wonder if, <clears throat> cause you're picking different colors and then you're putting words to it. I have to imagine that's using different parts of your brain and really just the fact that you had that time and that space to honor. And like you said, the kids could be playing around but you could still kind of watch over them but still be processing. And, or did you really, when, after he had passed, was it, did you only paint then when they were asleep or? Or no, you could do it still. Um, I could still do it when they were around for sure. And I would, um, I would find myself, I also wrote a, wrote a lot of poetry about my dad during that time. It was like a very prolific phase of my life because it, I had these big emotions that I didn't want to like fire hose on my children. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they did not, to, they did not need to be receiving all the feelings I was feeling. Um, so it was almost like the painting and the poetry was like a receptacle where I could place those feelings so that I could still function as a mother, given that my kids, you know, my husband took off the amount of time he could take off to, um, to like help me, but yeah. I still, you know, yeah. you still, still had to work and finish. Yeah. And all yeah. the, oh my gosh. And then the pandemic and then losing your dad. I just can't even, it's a lot to manage you know individually but then you put it all together and it's like oh my gosh the fact that 
you guys all made it out <laughs> unscathed, relatively unscathed. Like that's amazing. Yeah, it it's rough. <laughs> it's really rough. I am not gonna lie. Like that period. Um, I just don't, I don't know that I'll ever be the same after having having gone through that. But um, you know, I talked to my husband. I guess about a year after my dad died, and I'm skipping ahead, but you know, event, I started posting my paintings and, and the art that I was making and, and some people reached out, friends of mine wanted to buy it. And I was like, Oh, sure. <laughs> sure. I guess I'll make copies, figure out how to do that. And now I have this little side gig as an artist. Um, I was telling my husband that that felt kind of complicated to me. Like I'm profiting off my dad's death and like, this is weird. And, and, um, you know, that, that his death awakened this like thing in me that I'm really grateful for. But like, of course I would give it all back if I could have my dad and, you know, it's nice to be married to a therapist sometimes. (laughs) Um, and he, my husband was very sweet and, um, you know, was like, well, what if you just think about that as your last, is your dad's last gift to you? Like that, um, all the love that he poured into you and the great man that he was like inspired all this beautiful art. Um, and you don't need to like feel weird or guilty that his loss created something beautiful. And you know, that first poem that I wrote so much, much is lost so much is found. Yeah. It's all, connected yes it's all in the in the ground oh my gosh yeah it's it's, it was in you and think about you know how your parents raise you up and and you know help that I just there's so many wonderful messages um about all of this you know about you being able to process your grief like you know you really being a very present and good mom because you're honoring that part of you that needed this outlet right and then so that way like you said you're very aware of like I don't want to dump this on my kids you know, and when we go through life, just mindlessly reacting and, you know, because there's always going to be something coming up, not that extreme, obviously, you know, having your dad, mm-hmm. die, but, but there's still things that we can make into big things, you know, if we're not processing right. and allowing ourselves time to handle that or to meditate or whatever, to separate it out. But, um, and then I just, I love, I love that, like, you didn't know what you were doing and you just kind of, this is, you know, what I, I think we have this view of education that we have to go to a school and have someone teach you and you have to have initials after your name to be any good. And yep. it's like, oh no, you know, <laughs> this is not how people learn. Yep. You're old or young, yeah. you, you practice and you do it and we forget that. And um, you, were, you were talking about how you did um, at the workshop we took, sorry, people, I, <laughs> you don't know what I'm referring to, but yeah. So the workshop that you, you did, you were telling us about, you were working at a fair and you had like a ch- children's table set up and an adult table mm-hmm. set up, like tell, tell that story for our listeners. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I did an event for our neighborhood, um, that they asked me to set up a watercolor station and I set up two tables and I had a table for kids. And I, and then I thought, you know, I'll have a table for adults too, so that they can just come paint. And, um, and the, I mean, there were so many kids, so many kids, people were lining up waiting to paint. 
And then I had this whole other empty table with all the adult materials set up. And I had a sign like adults come paint. And the parents would sit there and watch their kids. And I would invite them like, why don't you paint while your kid paints? Oh, no, no, I can't. I won't. Um, I had one, one parent, one adult who would, would even try. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, um, you know, but I've been there, like, it's easy, it's easy to be there. And that's, um, one of the workshops I teach. I, I decided to offer a workshop after that called art for the unartistic, um, so that people who want to learn won't feel like, oh, I'm going to be there with the people who are a bunch of people who are already artists. Right. Like, nope, you're just, it's just for people who want to be artistic, but don't consider themselves artistic yet. Right. Yeah. If you were to ask me what's my identity, I would say, yeah, not art. I'm not, not an artist, but I would, I would I'm curious. I would love to be more artistic. I would love <laughs> to just have that as a, um, a tool in my toolbox that, you know, when I want to connect with my kids right. sit down and just relax myself that I can bring out some watercolors and, and, you know, and, and have fun and really enjoy it and not stress about, like you said. And so until we even see it, like when I see your paintings, I think they're beautiful and they seem accessible and it seems like, okay, there's some randomness yes. there. There's some beauty there and you have skill with the color and the, and how you draw. But I feel like there's also an aspect of like, Oh, I can make it look like, you know, like it gives me hope that I can, that it's right. not like a realist painting of yes. like a 3D pair on a plate. And you're like, oh my God, there's no, no way. <laughs> right. Right. And I, I think that, um, I, I had another kind of like revelatory moment, a friend of mine, after I'd started painting and doing these doodles, a friend of mine came over to paint one day and she pulled out some stencils and she was using stencils and I was like, oh, stencils? Like, that's not cheating? Yeah. And so now I um, I use stencils in my work a lot because it helps me to, um, like, it's still my ideas. And I decide how to organize the stencils, you know, but as, as an educator, there's this idea of scaffolding where when you're learning something, you provide support uh, to a new learner so that they feel comfortable and confident with what they're doing. You provide lots of support and as they improve and gain skills, you slowly remove the supports. So I, I bring my stencils out all the time when I teach workshops um, because I think it allows people to practice with arranging shapes and looking at different combinations without having like that roadblock of, oh, I can't make my hands draw the shape that I want it. Right. Yeah, that I want. So I'm, I'm not talking like stencils of like unicorns. It's like right. circles yeah. and squares and lines. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, just, yeah, shapes. And that's great. Um, what advice or suggestions do you have for people who, you know, don't think they're artistic or creative? And you kind of just said that, I think, with the scaffolding. But if do you have any other ideas yeah. of like, you know, they want to, um, or, and, or they want to, um, process grief so either people who are just yeah. they want to be artistic and they're not how can they kind of get into this um and then <clears throat> or if they if they know hey I'm going through some heavy stuff right now you know yeah. how how can I use art to my advantage to process sure um yeah I think I for me I can just only answer as my own self but um for me the 
abstract art is the way to go. <laughs> like if you are wanting to be artistic, um, but you don't know where to start. Um, so I, I have actually several, several pieces of advice. Don't start trying to do realism. You're just going to be disappointed because <laughs> it's going to take years of practice to start making things look like real life. But if you're more open to just creating abstract art that expresses how you're feeling, I think that the learning curve is much less steep for abstract art. Um, I love Instagram for inspiration. Um, so if you're not sure, you know, what to paint um, or where to start, if you go on Instagram and you just type in a couple of like abstract watercolor or abstract acrylic or, you know, and I love to watch the process videos. So if you just like abstract acrylic process or abstract watercolor process, then you're going to get a lot of videos of people doing it. And then you can see how they do it. And YouTube is great for this too. Um, and then I, I do um, like play, just like have focus on process over product for a long time and find what soothes you and what you enjoy doing. And then the other thing I would say is don't be afraid to copy, um, which is hard for me as an English teacher to give that advice. Yeah, don't right. be afraid to copy. I spent most of my career telling people, don't you dare copy. Right. Um, but a lot, a lot of what I have learned is finding a piece of art that inspires me and then trying to figure out how to recreate it. Um, and it never turns out exactly the same. Um, I usually get like halfway through and then I'm like, Ooh, but I'm going to do this instead of when they did this. Um, or even if it does turn out very similar, then it's not like you're, as long as you're not trying to sell it, um, or post it as, you know, your own original work. Um, there's so much to be learned by finding a piece of work that inspires you and then trying to figure out how to emulate it. And then you are learning techniques and skills that you're then going to be able to apply um, and learn what you like and what's fun for you. And then you can mix, you know, different features from different pieces and turn it into something you love. Yeah. That's great. Your other question was about grieving um, and about how to, use art and, um, as an expression of grief. And I, I don't know if there's like, you know, what if there's a certain number of hours of active grieving you have to do to get to the next place? I don't think that's exactly how it works, but, um, I do feel that my grief for my dad was very significant and yet not debilitating. Um, and I think it was because I spent, I mean, there's lots of reasons why. Um, but I think one of the things that really helped me still function um, as to whatever degree I still did <laughs> function was that um, there was a landing place for the unbearable emotions. And it, the unbearable emotions were paired often with an activity that was positive for me. Um, 
and it felt honoring to my dad. Um, it still feels honoring to me that my favorite, this might be my favorite piece, um, that it, the, it's, I'll explain it for the people who are listening. It's watercolor splotches and kind of pastel colors. And it's got some kind of sketchy looking trees on it. Um, and then the poem says, we know what it means to have been loved by someone of uncommon goodness. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's one of my favorite pieces because I think it really summarizes mm-hmm. what, you know, what it was like to have lost my dad. And um, a lot of people have commented that that piece really connects with them, that they, and it's like, we're, we're in a club together. Like, right people who who were loved, we have been loved. And now that present tense love is gone. But, um, but it's still there. And um, I think that when I painted that, um, you know, it's a memorial to my dad and everyone who sees it, is experiencing a thing I did to honor my dad. And even if no one ever sees it and it just exists for me, that those were moments I spent thinking about my dad, contemplating his impact on my life um, and processing what it means that he's gone. So it, it felt like, you know, if there's an, a certain amount of work to be done in grieving, feel like I got a lot of that work done by painting and writing. Um, and now there's like a thing that exists that didn't exist before. And it, and I think it's so beautiful how you, you know, you said that in the past um, you had that thought of, oh, now I'm benefiting off financially off of this grief and off of, but really I look at it as like twofold, right? So you get to process it and you're giving words to other people and like the ability to other people. And then you're connecting people, right? Because mm-hmm. at some point we're all going to lose someone that we really love. Right. And hopefully we have people in our lives that it'll be devastating when we lose them because we had those. Right. And so, um, it, yeah, the, the fact that, you know, now these people, we can have some community and, and yeah, it just, I think there's so many beautiful layers to, to what this has brought for your life and other people's lives. And um, I absolutely can relate to that. I actually started this podcast because of um, my dad had passed and in, in especially the last couple of years <clears throat> of his life, he like when I was a professional and, and then starting my practice and everything, he really wanted me to write a book. And I was like, yeah, not so much, dad. I'm like, me and writing, the perfectionist comes out. And I just, it's, right. so at the time I was like, no, no, no. And then, and it was horrible. His passing was just awful. And so when I came up for air, you know, after that process, you know, when, after he had passed, I remember just having this, this desire to honor him and to mm-hmm. and just, I just knew I can't write a book right now. It's, you know, maybe in the future, but right now it's not in me. And I remember thinking what, what would be easy? What would feel easy? Mm-hmm. And I could still honor him and feel connected to, to that wish of his. And I was like, I can talk. I can talk. Mm-hmm. I'll start a podcast. So I literally yeah. start a podcast like on a whim. Yeah. It's definitely not as artistic as, it's your beautiful art, but I, but there's still that like honoring them and then that creation, mm-hmm. that creative process. And um, so I totally resonate with that, but um, I 
I can't thank you enough for your time. I would love to hear, I'd love for you to share with our listeners more about how they can connect with you, how they can learn from you. Um, I just, I love what you're putting out in the world and uh, you're local to Atlanta, but I would think you could do like virtual classes too. I mean, so really it doesn't matter where people are living. They could, they could connect with you and learn from you. So. Yeah. I have a website M Kemper Westbrook.com. That's M K E M P E R Westbrook W E S T B R O O K. M Kemper Westbrook.com is my uh, website. I also have an Instagram is where I'm most active. Um, it's just such a great place for artists. And my handle there is at m.kemper.westbrook. And um, yeah, I, I'm trying to figure out what workshops I want to offer. And I, um, I love painting and I don't love marketing. <laughs> so, like, I really, the business side of it is not my favorite. Um, but I've had a couple recent requests that's when I really do great is when someone's like, Hey, I want to take this workshop. Can you do that? Yeah. And then if I know I have a couple of people who will do it, then I pick a time that works for that person and then open it up to other people. So if someone's listening and they're like, Oh, I really want her to do a virtual workshop. You just send me an email and uh, tell me when you're free. And I'll, I'll probably try to put something together. Nice. And what's your email? But yeah, I, I've taught workshops on, um, my email is um, mkemperwestbrook at gmail.com. Okay, good. Excellent. And yeah, I, um, I'm i so excited. Yeah. Because so, yeah, I don't workshop Oh, yeah, go on. No, I think we've got a little bit of lag, so I'm, I yeah. hope I wasn't talking over you. Yeah, a couple of different workshops I offer are, um, I do like parent and child partner art workshops um, where you make collaborative art with your child. Um, I do art for the unartistic. I've done um, re reconnecting with your creativity for moms uh, and caregivers. And I have in my brain to do um, art and expression for the grieving, but I'm a little like, I'm, I'm probably going to try and pair up with a therapist to help me, you know, to bring the professional therapeutic aspect to it. That's great. Yeah. I love that because I think as a mom, I want to connect with my child. So I, I can see that being, especially now having two kids, I can see, okay, let me have daddy watch the little one who is still attached to my hip. And then I have time with the older one and then, or vice versa, you know, if they're both, you know, one isn't like super right. young and you could do both, you know, just but separate times. I just think that would be yeah. amazing or at the same time. I don't know, but um, and I know I'm super excited that you're going to be um, doing a workshop with my team at Renew Public Health. So I am so excited. That's coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, yeah, I'm excited too. Yeah. So excellent. Thank you so, so much for your time and sharing your wisdom and, and all your experience. Everyone check her out on Instagram. Her, your process videos are the best. I just could watch you do what you do forever. It's so much fun. <laughs> Um, and I really can't wait to learn from you again in a couple weeks. So thank you. All right. Thanks, Amanda. Uh, thanks for having me. Take care. Bye. Bye. Do you ever wish that you could learn the essentials of pelvic health from an experienced pelvic floor physical therapist at a fraction of the cost and from the comfort of your own home? This episode is sponsored by Progressive Pelvic Education, your source for online courses to expand your pelvic health knowledge and promote optimal wellness. 
pelvic health is wealth, and there is a lot of essential information about our pelvic floor that isn't taught in school. Learn what to do and not to do to avoid the inconvenience and pain of pelvic floor issues in a self-paced course you can take anywhere. Visit progressivepelviceducation.com to get access today. This content is for educational purposes only and is not intended to be medical advice. Please discuss any questions you may have regarding your health or medical condition with your physician or a qualified healthcare professional. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests.